Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 226 of the podcast that is Sweeping America, the Aerotora Sports Podcast. Great show today. I teased it on Instagram and Twitter on Wednesday. Mega guest joining me, Sean Farnham, ESPN. Uh, he's quickly evolved into a good friend of mine. I've been on with him a number of times on SiriusXM when he's hosting radio. And he joins me today to discuss all the hot topics in college basketball. We actually talk about this quote-unquote, is there a great team controversy? He fills you in on San Diego State. He fills you in on the Pac-12. We talk about national championship contenders, who's for real, who's not. He likes Kentucky. Uh, more than most. Uh, I like a couple teams more than he does. I actually like Kentucky too, not that I don't like Kentucky, but uh, it's an amazing interview. Sean is, I believe, and and I'm biased because he's obviously joining me on this show, but I believe he is one of the smartest men covering, men or women, no disrespect, uh, covering college basketball right now. I look at him as the Kirk Herbstreet of college basketball, a guy that is not afraid to share honest opinions, a guy that is not afraid to be critical if it's warranted, but also a guy that loves this sport and just wants this sport to get its proper due diligence. Before Sean joins, I'm going to hit on a couple big topics. Obviously, the major news of the week, John Beeline is out with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He is coming back to college. I'm going to talk about what went wrong in Cleveland and where I think he ends up in college. Two schools appear to be emerging above everyone else. One I completely buy, one I completely don't buy, and I'll tell you why. And I myself, before I talk to Sean, I'm going to set up this quote-unquote great teams conversation because it drives me crazy anytime I say anything nice about Baylor, about San Diego State, about Gonzaga. Uh, I I get pushback, and, and I just, what I do, as I've said many times, is My job isn't to tell you uh, that I'm 100% right or that you're 100% wrong. What my job is to do is to present you the facts and let you decide for yourself if you believe what I say, if you believe what you you believe, whatever you're going to want to believe. But my job is to present the facts, and then from there, you decide what you want to do. And so I just want to talk about this conversation that there's no quote unquote great teams in college basketball. Talk about a couple games the last couple days Kentucky beating LSU. Very convincing win, very important win for Kentucky. Uh, hopefully, there's no major injuries coming out of that one with Ashton Hagens and, and Nick Richards uh, limping around towards the end. 
I do want to give credit to the Creighton Blue Jays, who I think are maybe the hottest team in college basketball that nobody's talking about. They've won, I think, seven of eight. They've beaten uh, Marquette now, Villanova, and Sandy, uh, Seton Hall on the road, and then we'll hit on a couple of the big games. From Wednesday, we will get to Sean Farnham. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please subscribe to the Air Tour Sports Podcast. You can do that on iTunes. You can do it on Apple Podcast. If you have an Android, the Podcast Addict app is the way to go. Uh, but make sure you're subscribed. Also, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to download this show. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. A uh, couple new reviews have come in over the last couple weeks. The first one is from Nate who only gave me three stars. It's okay, Nate, nothing personal. He says, entertaining. AT certainly provides a good listen for basketball-hungry fans like myself. Sometimes can get a little carried away with the praise of himself, but maybe that's tongue-in-cheek. Uh, Nate, it is certainly tongue-in-cheek. Listen, I'm right, I'm wrong. I just try to have fun with this, man, is that, that I know that I get fired up sometimes, like last week when I was talking about San Diego State and Dayton, but at the end of the day, I love doing what I do, and I love having a good time. And do I love bragging when I got stuff right? Of course. Do I love maybe you know shoveling stuff under the rug when I got it wrong? Absolutely, we all do it, but it's all fun, it's all entertainment, and I just want to, uh, as you said, provide, and, and I didn't finish Nate's, uh, you know, Nate's thing here. He says, overall, the content is good, and it's nice to listen on the commute, and I just want to make that 20-minute commute for you uh, fun, that 20, minute, 20 minutes on the elliptical, 20 minutes in the doctor's office, 20 minutes on a flight across country. Whatever it is, I just want to make it entertaining for you. So thank you for the review, Nate. Also, shout out to Phelps Stable, who says he actually ch chimed in on the Narcos interview from a few weeks ago. I had Stephen Murphy and Javier Pena. Season 5 of Narcos is out now, but I had Stephen Murphy and Javier Pena on, and he said the story of the Pablo Narcos was outstanding. Great supplement to the show. And I did have a few people ask me, oh, you know, it's the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, you know, what was that about? Listen, my whole thing, I want want to provide, as I just said a minute ago, entertainment. I want interesting. You know, Colin Cowherd, who's a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, he always says, I'm in the interesting business. And I myself, Aaron Torres, try to be interesting. And obviously, uh, I try to do that as well. Finally, if you're not uh, following on Instagram, make sure you do that. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Great following there. Good week of picks for me, uh, as I did have the Kentucky LSU game as one of my favorite bets on Tuesday. And of course, if you have any questions, we'll be getting more mailbags going as we get closer to the NCAA tournament. Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, let's get into the big story of the week. Uh, and just really, to me, as somebody who doesn't cover the NBA as closely until we get to the playoffs, now look, I obviously talk NBA on my Fox Sports Radio show. I'm always kind of following what's going on in that league. I knew things were not going well with John Beeline. I didn't know they were this bad, though. And so shortly after Nick Coffey and I recorded on Sunday, uh, this news story breaks that John Beeline and the Cavs, after less than a season, could be coming to a mutual parting of ways. I actually thought they meant at the end of this season, but I kind of forgot that the All-Star break goes about a week now, 10 days, whatever it ends up being. And so there was time for the two sides to negotiate their way out. And I'll tell you, it is a stunning turn of events. I mean, I remember in May... Uh, getting waking up, getting ready to go to the gym, and having to host an emergency podcast at about you know 6 a.m. Pacific time because John Beeline had just agreed to go to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Listen, I give him a ton of credit 
because he wanted to compete and coach at the highest level. This was a guy that, as I said at the time, I said, look, John Beeline is a guy that started as a varsity, junior varsity high school coach up to the varsity, to the junior college level, to the low major level, to the high major level, to Michigan, one of the premier programs in college basketball. And he just wanted to see if he could do it at the highest level. Um, and I think he learned very quickly that while I think that he can, while I think that he has the chops, the NBA is a different deal, man. And it was funny because as I saw this story play out, I actually thought of something from this podcast. For people who have been listening forever, uh, probably about 30 episodes in, I started this late in the 2018 college basketball season. And in that summer, I had Chris Beard, the Texas Tech head coach, on the show. And Chris Beard was at that time coming off an Elite Eight run. He obviously went to the Final Four last year. And Chris Beard, I remember asking him, he had a, a Texas Tech's first ever one and done player had just come through the program. And Chris Beard, and, and I asked him about it. I said, man, you know, you were you yourself were at the JUCO level, the D2 level. What's it like having a one and done guy? And he said, it's kind of funny. You know, every every job, every profession has problems relative to each other. I thought it would be great to coach a one and done guy, and I really enjoyed coaching Zaire Smith. But it's also tough to recruit a guy and not expect to lose him after six months, and then you do. And and I remember Chris Beard saying. All jobs are relative. All problems are relative. Every job has a problem. Uh, it's just what the problems are that you're willing to deal with. And so I think about that when it came to John Beeline, because entering this season, I remember he actually sat down and did kind of an extensive interview with Adrian Wojnarowski, where he basically said, "Like, look, I'll tell you this, man. I am not going to miss college basketball. I am not going to miss recruiting. Like, I vividly remember Beeline specifically saying." You know, I left, and the next week was the first time that I could text uh, sophomores by NCAA rules, and I will not miss texting 16-year-olds. Uh, that I will not miss that part of the job. Well, as it turns out, maybe texting 16-year-olds isn't as bad as dealing with 21-year-old millionaires who hate your guts. And so th this thing in Cleveland ended, and I do think it's emblematic of two things. I think both sides can be responsible for what happened with John Beeline in Cleveland. The Athletic on Wednesday did a very extensive, very long-form piece on what went right, what went wrong. And my biggest takeaway, honestly, was this, was that while John Beeline was certainly to blame for some of the issues with the Cleveland Cavaliers, specifically, it's a well-documented story, um, you know, during uh, a film session, he called the players thugs. Obviously, that's not a word you can use in 2020 uh, when referring to players, and he uh, he apologized. And apparently, once he did that, uh, there was never uh, there was never coming back from it. Now, John Beeline claims that he meant to say they were playing like slugs. Uh, I don't know if I believe that, but that's neither here nor there. So it's not to say that John Beeline wasn't to blame. But as I read this article, what it showed me, if there was ever a doubt, is that. You know, I got to be honest, I think the culture of the NBA is broken. I think the culture of the highest levels of basketball is broken in this sense. The reason that John Beeline struggled at the NBA level is two reasons. One, guys just don't want to work. And, and if you read this article, you'll see that, like, for example, it started in Summer League where he had a bunch of rookies and a bunch of G League guys, 
and they didn't want to practice. And even at Summer League, with maybe only two or three guys that were going to make the NBA roster, they were complaining about how long practice was and how intense it was and we're focused too much on the fundamentals and we just want to go play. And then coming into the season, the report said that that you know guys just didn't show up for practice or they'd show up later, they'd show up when they want or they'd complain about film sessions. And listen, to me, I'll be honest, I think that speaks not about John Beeline. I think it speaks about the culture of the NBA where guys just aren't held accountable. And listen, I think there are teams that are very well run, the Clippers, the Lakers, where a LeBron or a Kawhi Leonard can keep everybody else in line. But I look at the Cleveland Cavaliers. And okay, if you want to say that Kevin Love, he's a veteran, he's won a championship, he's been there before, maybe it's going to take him a while to cozy up to John Beeline. I get it. Same for Tristan Thompson. But I would also say most of those guys on the Cleveland Cavaliers haven't accomplished anything. And so for a Colin Sexton, for a, um, you know, whoever else is on that team to feel like they don't have to listen to John Beeline, get out of here, man. Colin Sexton, like, what have you accomplished in your career that you can tune out a guy that is, by all accounts, one of the most successful coaches in the history of basketball in terms of fundamentals, in terms of X's and O's, and that's why he got a six-year deal with Cleveland, because they, they're in the middle of a rebuild. They wanted a guy that, that could develop young players, teach young players, and the players tuned him out, and six months later, he's gone. So I don't know how much of it falls completely on John Beeline versus the players. Apparently, if you read the article, the front office situation wasn't great either. Um, There's a lot of meddling with the owner, Dan Gilbert. The GM is kind of in a weird spot. And so it's not as though Cleveland is the perfect organization, but I don't think this reflects poorly on John Beeline at all. Like I said, all problems are relative. And I think he now realizes uh, texting 16-year-olds and coaching at the college level I don't think is that bad of a deal. And I would also say in defense of John Beeline as well, Michigan each of the last two years has come through the West Regional Final. And so I have spent a lot of time around Michigan. I've spent a lot of time talking to those players. For people who don't know, in the NCAA tournament, they have open locker rooms. You can talk to all the teams. And his players love John Beeline. His players swear by John Beeline. And so I don't think it's emblematic of him being overrated as a coach or anything like that. Which brings me to the most important part and the reason that you're listening, which is college basketball gets John Beeline back. And I think this is, while it's, uh, um, I guess, disappointing for John Beeline, I don't even know if Cavs fans care or NBA fans care. I think it's awesome for college basketball because the news came out on Tuesday afternoon. They've officially parted ways. Apparently, John Beeline gave up $12 million uh, you know, of the remainder of his contract to come back uh, uh, to leave Cleveland. So one, you knew it was bad in Cleveland. And two, as my buddy Sam Vecini from The Athletics said, like I think he brought up a good point. If you're turning down $12 million, it means that you either, one, you probably don't care that much about money, but two, you probably got something else lined up. And so I know there was talk that Beeline being 67 years old, there's the possibility that he retires. Uh, his son w- uh, resigned from a head coaching job for personal reasons. I kind of know what those personal reasons are. I, I don't really want to speculate on them. I- I- it wouldn't be speculation, but I don't really want to talk about them on this show. But I think it all weighed on John Beeline. But I do think ultimately that he will be back in college basketball next year if the right opportunity presents itself. There's been two or three jobs that uh, I would say kind of have stood out in this John Beeline sweepstakes. And I'll tell you what, I think a couple of them make a ton of sense. 
I think a couple of them make no sense at all. So let me start with the one that feels like the most obvious. That is the University of Texas. And I think if I was betting, if I was going to my favorite city in the world, Las Vegas, or heck, if, if I was in one of these states that had legalized gambling, and hopefully in California, we will get that soon. If I was a betting man, I would 100% put my money on John Beeline to the Texas Longhorns. Because first of all, you have the scenario, Shaka Smart is not coming back. And I and it's funny because I've, I've heard really good people that cover college basketball say that, that they think Shaka Smart can survive. Jeff Goodman, I know some people like him, some people don't. Jeff Goodman's really plugged in. He's a really smart guy. He's always been really nice to me. Um, and, and he said, like, I heard him say a couple weeks ago, like, you know, I don't know. I think Shaka could be back next year. I just don't see that. This is now year five. You have to remember... Texas ran Rick Barnes out of town, not because he couldn't get to the NCAA tournament, but because he didn't win enough once he got there. Rick Barnes, I don't think people realize, 16 NCAA tournament bids in 17 years. That guy can coach 16 tournament bids in 17 years at Texas, whereas Shaka Smart's about to miss the tournament for the third time in five years. The two times he went, they've lost in the first round. Even when they've gone, they've never been great. And as a matter of fact, his best season came when he had Rick Barnes' players. And so there's going to be an opening. It's a high-profile job. They'll be able to pay John Beeline well, and I think it's the right fit for John Beeline, and let me explain why. I think that John Beeline at 67 years old, I don't know that he's going to go to two types of places. One, I certainly don't think he's going to go to a place that needs a major like cultural like rebuild, right? Like imagine if say Louisville after Rick Pitino was fired. Like I don't know that John Beeline would be the right fit there because you might have to deal with three, four, five years of sanctions before you can even get things rolling. Hire a Chris Mack. He's four, he was 48 at the time, 50 now. That makes sense in that situation. Well, Texas has none of those issues. They're just not very good. And so I think it makes sense because, listen, Austin is a different kind of place. It's, it's a place that isn't like, you know, 365 days a year, the focus on the college team, certainly not the basketball team. And I think that's another thing that makes Texas appealing to a lot of coaches. If you don't mind, if you don't have the ego where you have to be the center of attention 365 days a year, Texas is a great job because Austin's a fun city to live in. All the focus is on the football team. And again, if you can just get this team to the NCAA tournament, that's all the fans really want. Now, listen, you make a sweet 16 here and there, that's great. And so I think John Beeline can step in. There's already talent. Coach him up. In two or three years, get him to the tournament. In three, four, five years, maybe get him to a sweet 16, maybe an elite eight, whatever. And then he can hand it over to whoever he wants. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he brought his son on staff, let his son do a couple years of kind of rehab, you know, kind of public image rehab, and then uh, hand hand the program over to his son in four or five years. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that John Beeline, I don't think he wants to recruit the elite one-and-done type guys because those aren't the guys that work for him. I don't think Texas, there's that pressure. I think there was when Shaka Smart got there, or Shaka Smart put that on him himself, but I think John Beeline can coach the guys that he wants to coach, can teach the guys that he wants to teach, doesn't have to chase the five stars, where if you go to certain programs, including one we'll get to in a minute, yeah, there's an expectation. You you come to... 
uh, Duke, you come to North Carolina, you come to Kentucky, you come to UCLA, and I'm not saying any of those jobs are going to open because they're not, but you go to those schools, the expectation is you're recruiting great players every single year. And I think at Texas, he can kind of be a little bit under the radar. He can recruit the guys that he wants, and I think it makes sense. One place that I do not think makes sense, and it's kind of crazy because this popped up on my radar Monday when the news first started really circulating, okay, he's not going to be back. I had somebody really plugged in say that there are some powerful people at the University of Indiana or Indiana University, whatever it is, IU, that are going to really push to get Archie Miller out and John Beeline in. And on the surface, it does make sense, right? Uh, John Beeline just came from the Big Ten. I think there's this idea that he's a quote-unquote Midwest guy. I don't know if I believe that considering that he's coached all over the country, not just at Michigan. He started his career in upstate New York. He was in West Virginia, or he was in Virginia uh, with at the University of Richmond. He was at West Virginia, and he, of course, most recently was at Michigan. I don't think he's a Midwest guy, though. I think he's a, you know, he can win anywhere kind of guy. And so I don't think that he has to go back to the Big Ten. But here's the deal with Archie Miller. Listen, I know we live in this kind of world where where coaching news it's a big deal. There's a reason I'm leading my show with John Beeline. It is what you guys care about, but. Just because a coach isn't performing up to expectations, it doesn't mean that they're going to get forced out. And I think Archie Miller is a perfect example of this. I know that we are looking at a potential situation where we are now in year three of the Archie Miller era, and there's a very distinct possibility they will miss the NCAA tournament for a third straight season. Now, I think they still sneak in. It might be in a play-in game, one of those first four games, but I do think that Indiana ultimately gets in. But even if they don't, this is why I don't think Indiana is at play. I think you just got to do a, a, a quick Google search to realize why Indiana is not in play. And that's very simply this. Archie Miller, you know, he was a very in-demand guy when he came to Indiana. He had a good thing going at Dayton. And I don't know if you guys have looked at this contract, but Archie Miller, when he got to Indiana, he signed a six-year, $24 million deal. He's now about halfway through that contract and if he, if he is fired, this is the way his contract reads. You can Google it. I'm not saying any crazy inside information that isn't available online. If he is fired before April 1st of 2020, then he is owed every dollar remaining on his contract, which would be, by my estimation, if we're through three years this year, and he's got three years left on his contract, and the, the money's about the same year to year, that would be like $12 million that they would owe Archie Miller following this season. Now, next year, could I see Archie Miller being in trouble if they don't get to the tournament for the fourth straight season? Yes, next year in February of 2021, if Archie Miller again has a team that does not look like it's going to make the NCAA tournament, I could absolutely see him being on the hot seat. I just don't see Indiana paying $12 million a year to fire Archie Miller. Um, and I'd also say this, too. Indiana's athletic director, Fred Glass, is stepping down, is retiring on June 1st. Well, guess who Fred Glass's last big hire was at the University of Indiana? It was Archie Miller. And so what you're telling me, if you think that John Beeline is a candidate or that, that, that Indiana is going to push Archie Miller out and pay John Beeline, what you're telling me, is that Indiana, their AD, his last big hire as the AD, 
he is going to say, yeah, I whiffed on that hire, and then leave the new AD a $12 million bill and how much you would owe Archie Miller plus whatever you're going to have to pay John Beeline. I just don't see that happening. And so I think Archie Miller is safe. I do think when the new AD gets in, I think the new AD is going to evaluate the situation. And I think if Archie Miller stinks next year, then he could be in trouble. I don't believe that he's in trouble this year. And I don't believe John Beeline is really uh, a candidate at that job. The last kind of big one that I've heard, and I don't know if I buy this one either, is Wake Forest. And Wake Forest is... It's a fascinating job, right? Like like anybody who's listening to this show that's above 25, like you remember Wake Forest being halfway decent. They had, when I was a kid, Tim Duncan. Chris Paul played there. You know, we're talking about two of the probably 15 best NBA players of the last 20 years played at Wake Forest. They have obviously been coming on hard times of recent late, and they're going to fire Danny Manning. And I'll tell you this, though. Shout out to Danny Manning and shout out to Danny Manning's agent. He has probably... The craziest contract that I've ever seen, which is that he is under contract through 2024-2025, and he signed this big extension when the team made the tournament in 2017. They lose in the play-in game, and they have been awful since. And so he probably would have been fired last year, but I don't think Wake Forest could could afford to fire him last year. And so again, it comes down to the Indiana thing. How much does is Danny Manning owed because it's a private school? We don't have the exact numbers. And how much can they afford to pay? And what I think this comes back to is something that came up last week with the Mel Tucker stuff. What was the number one story when Mel Tucker, the football coach, left Colorado for Michigan State? It was that there is a growing disparity in money between the Big Ten, the SEC, and everybody else. And it was shown in Mel Tucker who signed for $5.7 million per year. I think that was the number at Michigan State, doubling his salary, doubling his salary pool, and all that stuff. And so when it comes to Wake Forest, like it's a small private school that hasn't had a ton of success in, in, in either sport. I know the football team was pretty good this year. I don't know how much money is coming into that school. And unlike the SEC, unlike the Big Ten, the, the TV money isn't pouring in. Now, it's good. We're not talking about you know the same money that um, you know whoever, fill-in-the-blank, crappy school is getting. ACC TV money is good, but it ain't like Michigan, Michigan State, LSU, Alabama money either. And so with Wake Forest, I just don't know that they can afford to, to fire Danny Manning and hire John Beeline. I'll give you two names for the Wake Forest job. I think they can get this guy pretty cheap. His name is Wes Miller. He actually played at UNC under Roy Williams. And also, uh, his dad's a pretty big prominent booster there. He is the head coach at UNC Greensboro. Young guy, he's about 35 years old. Uh, and he has UNC Greensboro playing really well. They were 21 and, they're were 21 and 6 right now. They won 29 games last year. They were actually right on the cusp of making the tournament last year, one of the last four teams out. I think he could get the Wake Forest job. The other name, and you're going to laugh because I was just talking about this guy a minute ago. I actually think Shaka Smart could end up at Wake Forest because I think that the Wake Forest, uh, um, you know, whoever, I think they can sell Shaka Smart in that region of the country. Yeah, he went to Texas and it didn't work, but did you see what he did here in ACC country at VCU? Uh, I think they can sell that. Now, if I was Shaka Smart, I'd hang out, I'd collect my $10 million check, and I'd wait to see if I could get something else. But then again, the counterpoint is maybe you can't wait. Maybe you need to get back in now while you can. Those would be the two names to watch out for at Wake Forest. 
All right. I think that's it on John Beeline. I do quickly. Well, I don't know. I was going to transition into the great teams conversation, but I'll be honest. Listen, here's the deal. I'm going to talk about the great team stuff with Sean Farnham. Sean Farnham is coming up here in about 10, 15 minutes. He is fantastic in the least surprising news ever. I'm going to skip the great team stuff. There's another time, another day that we can talk about that. Certainly, if Baylor beats Kansas this weekend, then that, that is probably an appropriate place to talk that conversation. But instead, what I think I'm going to do is this, is, is there were three big topics that came out of Wednesday night, and I want to get into all of them. One is obviously Duke losing, completely changes the narrative of the ACC regular season picture, certainly of the number one and number two seed picture. I still think Duke is on the two line, but I think their, their spot there is a little more tenuous. Great win for NC State. Second big story, Auburn losing at Georgia changes the SEC race because when you combine Auburn's loss uh, on Wednesday with Kentucky beating LSU on Tuesday, it means that Kentucky now has a two-game lead in the SEC and the inside track at an SEC regular season title. The last topic is actually the one I'm going to start with, though, and that is Indiana picking up a big road win at Minnesota. I know it feels like a weird thing to kind of why are we starting with Indiana over those two other stories. I do think it transitions nicely from that John Beeline conversation we just had a moment ago, though, from the very simple sense that, listen, I don't know how much the Indiana fan base is frustrated with Archie Miller. I don't know how much they hate him, they dislike him. I don't know how much of it is social media stuff. But I will say, there has to at least be a segment of the fan base that is frustrated because of the fact that these John Beeline rumors have come up over the last two or three days. And look, they got to start from somewhere, right? They're not starting from nowhere. And so let's get into Archie Miller because Indiana won on Thursday night or Wednesday night. They beat Minnesota. They now are 17-9 overall and 7-8 and in the Big Ten. And I just got to be 100% honest. I don't get why Indiana fans are so frustrated with Archie Miller. And listen, I guess in the broader picture, I do get it. I get that it's Indiana. I get that it's a proud program. I get that they've won a million national championships a million years ago before any of us were born. I get all that. Um, and I also get that some of it stems from last season with Romeo Langford. What I would also say, I understand that Romeo Langford was one of the biggest recruiting victories in recent school history, but I would also say... I thought Romeo Langford was a little bit overrated. I thought Indiana's struggles had a lot to do with Romeo Langford. It was something that I talked about on this show a lot last year with Nick Coffey. Everybody kept saying, well, they're wasting Romeo Langford's one year at Indiana. Romeo Langford was part of the problem. And so they lose all these games, and I get that a lot of that is on Archie Miller, but I think a lot of it was on Romeo Langford. I would also say... It's not always easy getting in these big-time recruits and figuring out what to do with them. If you don't believe me, ask Penny Hardaway. If you don't believe me, ask Tom Crean, who actually, to his credit, and I've been crushing him, he must be listening to this show because he did pick up a nice win on Wednesday. But the point is, just because you get a big-time recruit doesn't promise you anything even at a place like Indiana. And so you come into this year... You come into a situation where, I get it, you're Indiana, you want to win more, you think it should be sooner, you saw your cross-border rival Kentucky come in with this Calipari guy 10 years ago and immediately be a national championship contender, but Calipari's a different deal, Calipari recruits a different caliber of player. I get it. You saw Chris Mack come in last year and have success with Louisville. Well, guess what? He inherited a better situation than Archie Miller did at Indiana. Let's not forget that when Archie Miller got to Indiana, this was a program that had missed the NCAA tournament the year before. 
in in three of the previous four seasons, Tom Crean had lost 15 or more games. So it's not as though Archie Miller inherited a perfect situation. Year one, whatever. Year two, you struggle with our, uh, with Romeo Langford. But I actually think they're pretty good this season. You look at Archie Miller. You look at Indiana. They're 17 and nine overall. Like I said, they're seven and eight in the Big Ten. And it's the right kind of 7-8. and eight. Like, if you look at their schedule, they really have basically no bad losses on the schedule. Now, they lost to Arkansas, which right now is trending like it's not a tournament team. But guess what? Arkansas was playing really well at that point. They had Isaiah Joe. They were in the tournament picture. Indiana lost at home to Purdue. Okay, Purdue's a bubble team. But every other loss, I'm talking at Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a, 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 a NCAA tournament team. I'm talking about a clean sweep against Maryland in which, by the way, you lost at home by one point in a game you could have won. I'm talking about a loss at Penn State who's in second place in the Big Ten. I'm talking about a loss at Rutgers which hadn't lost a home game all season until Wednesday night. These are good losses. I'd add, they have some good wins too. It's not as though they're beating up on absolutely nobody. They beat Florida State in the out-of-conference. They beat my UConn Huskies in the out-of-conference, which isn't a great win, but it's a nice win. They beat Notre Dame out-of-conference. In conference, they've beaten Iowa. They've beaten Michigan State. They've beaten, who else? Uh, I'm blanking. Iowa, Michigan State, Ohio State, and they win at Minnesota. So they have the right wins. They have the right losses. And I get that this team isn't the juggernaut that you want it to be, but they're right in position to make an NCAA tournament. And I just don't understand where all this hatred is coming from. I know you want to be further along, but this is a process. And I would also say, in Archie Miller's defense, he walked into a tough situation. And it goes beyond just what I said. First of all, it is partly what he inherited from Tom Crean. Like I said, they didn't make the tournament uh, in Tom Crean's final season. Three of his last four years, they lost 14-plus games. And when you factor in that Indiana, or or excuse me, that the Big Ten right now, you could argue, is the toughest conference in college basketball, and that Archie Miller joined Indiana, came to Indiana at the worst possible time, I think that needs to be factored in as well. Listen, first of all, he gets to Indiana, the second year, the Big Ten goes to 20 league games. That's a lot of league games. That's something that I have been on my, you know, uh, what do you call it, my my high horse about for, for two years now. 20 league games is too many league games, and I think it cost Indiana tournament berth last year. They have two less Big Ten losses, and they beat up on Jackson State and Louisiana Monroe. They're in the NCAA tournament. So you have this 20-game league schedule. You have the Big Ten where I would argue not only is it the best conference in college basketball, but the coaching is through the roof. Tom Izzo's a Hall of Famer. Matt Painter's probably going to the Hall of Fame at some point. Brad Underwood at Illinois can coach. Ohio State has had a rec- uh, coaching upgrade with Chris Holtman. I mean, look at look at the fact that Nebraska, which is in second to last place at 2-12 and 12 overall, they have a former NBA head coach there in Fred Hoiberg. And so it goes to, and I mentioned my buddy Colin Cowherd uh, a few minutes ago, but my buddy Colin Cowherd always says this. There's a difference between reasons and excuses, right? Like, 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 an excuse is the dog ate my homework. That's why I didn't turn it in. 
The reason I didn't turn it in was because there was a bad situation with my family and I had to spend all weekend in the hospital with grandma because something really bad happened. There's reasons and there's excuses. Spending time with grandma in the hospital is a reason why maybe your homework wasn't in on time. And excuses, my dog ate the homework. And so I don't think I'm making excuses for Archie Miller. I think I'm stating reasons. Again, this league is tough. Again, it's a 20-game league schedule. And again, I think he's actually doing pretty good. 17-9 overall in this league and 7-8 and in this league. If they keep trending in this direction, they will get to the tournament. Again, they have the right wins. They have really good wins. I think better wins than people realize. Michigan State at home, Iowa at home, Florida State at home, Minnesota now on the road. And they have no bad losses. So listen, again, I'm not saying this guy's John Wooden. I'm not saying he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I am saying, like, you got to give him a little bit of time. I think he's better than people realize. I think they play, and that's the other thing too, they play really hard. They're trying. This isn't like last year. Like last year with Romeo Lankford, okay, like I think at a certain point, guys on that team quit. Again, I think that was more of a Romeo Lankford thing than an Archie Miller thing. But you can't deny this year that his guys play hard. So I hope Indiana fans are patient. As I said, the John Beeline stuff isn't happening, but just be patient. I think this team is trending into the NCAA tournament direction, and I think they're trending in the right way. I think they play hard. I think they play the right way. And I do just think an Indiana fan has to be patient. All right, let's go to the SEC where wild couple nights in the SEC. As I mentioned a minute ago, Kentucky beating LSU combined with Auburn losing to Florida, uh, Georgia now means that, I don't know if you're ready for this, but Kentucky now has a two-game lead in the SEC with what, about six games to play in the regular season. Couple thoughts on this. First of all, you guys know, you know, as we talked about at the top of the show, um, you know, listen, I have my moments where am I a little arrogant? Yeah. Am I a little annoying? Yeah. But it's all kind of tongue, tongue in cheek in good fun. And I miss on plenty of my guesses and my predictions. Listen, nobody's perfect. But the one that I did nail, if you follow me on Instagram, you know, I said on Tuesday afternoon, I said, I don't understand why LSU is a favorite. So credit to Kentucky for going into LSU and winning convincingly. It's a good win by the metrics, but that was one I just didn't see Kentucky losing. Because if you follow kind of the stats on LSU, LSU is a team that turns the ball over at an insane clip. They actually average more turnovers than they do assists. They don't shoot the three-point shot well. And so really the only way that LSU can beat you, and they've beaten a lot of teams by doing this, by the way, the only way they can beat you is if they just beat the crap out of you on the glass. And listen, there's been games where they have. They beat Arkansas in a game where they were plus plus 29 on the glasses, and they had 29 more rebounds than Arkansas, and I think they they had something like 22 offensive rebounds. And so if you can keep LSU off the glass, I think you're in pretty good shape, and I knew Kentucky was going to do that because the one thing, Kentucky's played some really physical teams this year, Michigan State, Texas Tech, Louisville, and they've never struggled on the glass. And so good win for Kentucky, and listen, it just continues the trend it's the veterans, it's the second year guys, and it's funny because I mentioned a minute ago about these coaches with all these one and dones, Penny Hardaway struggling, Tom Crean up until Tuesday or Wednesday night was struggling, but 
How about John Calipari getting these veterans to play as well as they have? Emmanuel quickly, 21 points. Nate Sestina, I thought, was the underrated star of that game. Not only did he hit a bunch of threes, not only did he play his best offensive game in a long time, I thought he was just an absolute warrior on the boards. And I thought in that game, Kentucky needed some toughness. I thought he brought that specifically in the rebounding department. Credit to Nate Sestina. And of course, again, Nick Richards, another great game. Good to see him come back from that injury. And hopefully with Ashton Hagens, it's nothing major. Uh, as long as Kentucky's healthy, I think they are the runaway favorite now in the SEC, in large part also because how about our boy Tom Crean? All I have done on this show, and on Twitter too, I, I, I don't back off from what I say on Twitter. I say what I believe, and I have crushed Tom Crean. I mean, I did that whole thing about, you know, $3 million a year coaches with Buzz Williams versus Tom Crean. Well, I'll tell you what, man. Tom Crean earned his paycheck on Wednesday night. Georgia beats Auburn at home. Credit to him. Nice win. Not going to discredit Tom Crean because that was the game. That was a game where they were the better team from start to finish. They deserve to win that game. Credit to Tom Crean. But I think it's time to have a real conversation about Auburn right now. Because I just don't think Auburn's that good. Auburn is a team, and listen, in large part, we do have to give them credit, right? Because they did lose, as I've said a bajillion times on this show, they lost three of the most important players in school history. School history. From last year with Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, and of course Chuma Okiki all going to the draft. Jared Harper and Chuma Okiki leaving ahead of schedule, coming off a Final Four run. And so look, it, we didn't expect Auburn to be where they are right now, which is having the success that they've had and being in second place in the SEC. But I also think that despite being 22-4, and four, despite being ahead of schedule, and despite, by the way, not playing with Isaac Okoro on Tuesday, on Wednesday night, I do think it's also like we do have to have a conversation about like, I think this team's probably a little bit overrated. And listen, I'm one of the guilty ones. Again, I don't nail everything. I miss quite a bit, and I missed on this one because after the Kentucky game, I said, I think they've turned a corner. I think they figured it out. I actually think it's the opposite. I just don't think they're very good, and let me tell you why. Their last 11 games now, Auburn is 7-4, and four, which doesn't sound terrible, right? You're in the middle of conference play. You go on the road, this and that. But here's what would concern me if I was an Auburn fan. First of all, they're just 2-4 and four in their last six SEC road games, and I would add, the two wins that they have in overtime at Arkansas and in double overtime at Ole Miss. So they basically haven't won a regulation game, in a, 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 a game on the road in regulation since their SEC opener against Mississippi State the first week of January. So two and four in their last six road games overall. That includes losses at Georgia, losses at Missouri. But even the home games, they're still concerned because you look at those home games and in one of the games, they had to beat Alabama in overtime. In one of the games, they beat LSU in overtime in a game where they were up six points with a minute to go and somehow forced overtime. I still don't know how they forced overtime in that game. And of course, there was the Kentucky game where they were plus 20 from the foul line. They took 20 more foul shots than Kentucky. If the refs call that game a little bit more evenly, uh, Kentucky probably gets out of there with a win. Again, not saying that the refs were the sole singular reason that Auburn won that game, but they played a role, and I think it speaks to a larger thing with Auburn, which I think they're just a little bit overrated. They're 22-4. and four. 
They're going to get a good tournament seed. I get it. They're going to go home this weekend. They're probably going to be fine. But when they leave Auburn Arena, I do think they struggle. And I think what it really comes down to is this was a team that was built completely around shot making last year, and they just don't shoot the ball very well this year. They only shoot 30% from three, and obviously this is coming off a season where they were one of the best three-point shooting teams in America with Jared Harper, Chumo Kiki, Bryce Brown, all those guys. So listen, I think Auburn fades. I still think they finished third, fourth in the SEC. I think they're somewhere in a four, five, six range. And obviously when you get Isaac Okoro back, it's a completely different deal. But I do think they are probably a little bit overvalued right now as a team. Finally, I want to wrap with Duke. Listen, in, in the small picture, in the big picture, it's not that big of a loss. Duke does fall at NC State. They get absolutely annihilated. Final four, final score, 88-66. In a game that really wasn't that close. They were down by 15 at halftime. They didn't make a run in the middle of the second half where it felt like the Louisville game last year. Oh, my God, NC State's going to blow this lead. And it just never happened. And, and, and NC State wins. And by the way, for NC State, major, major, major win. If you guys remember over the summer, we had uh, Kevin Keats, the NC State coach on this podcast. And he talked a lot about, you know, we played Duke, Virginia, and North Carolina seven times last year. All three were number one seeds. We thought that we had the toughest schedule in the country. But we didn't win a single one of those games, and it was held against us. Well, NC State gets that win. Congratulations to them. A very much-needed win. I do think the story's a little bit about Duke, though. First of all, with the, with the Duke loss, they are now, again, technically tied with Louisville in the top of the ACC. Remember, Louisville obviously had the lead, then lost two games last week at Georgia Tech at Clemson to lose the lead, and now they are again tied. Obviously, Louisville has the tiebreaker as of right now because of the fact that Louisville has the head-to-head -head win, so they would get the number one seed in the ACC tournament. I will say from Duke's perspective, first of all, they still have a chance to win the ACC, but they are tied in the loss column. The bigger story is seeding-wise, I don't know how much it impacts things. I still think Duke is comfortably on the two line. This isn't a terrible loss. NC State on the road is not a terrible loss. NC State is trending as a bubble type team. Uh, I still think Duke is on the two line. I do think it makes it much tougher for them to get to the one seed line though. Of course, it would take something like a San Diego State loss, potentially a Gonzaga loss or two. Uh, certainly it would take two, three, four losses from Baylor. I think Baylor could legitimately lose two or three games from here on out and still get a one seed. Kansas probably in a little bit of a similar boat. Those two teams play this weekend, by the way, Baylor and Kansas. But to me, again, the story is very simply Duke losing. I think it hurts them in the pursuit of a number one seed. I think we can pretty much kiss that goodbye. I do still think they are on the two seed line. But again, it only takes one or two losses to get bumped down. In the bigger picture, though, I will give credit to somebody on this. My buddy Rob Douster, NBC Sports, he, um, you know, he is a guy that I've had on this show many times. He's a guy that I respect the hell out of in terms of his opinion and analysis on sports. And I will say this. He has been saying, he said on his own podcast on Wednesday that he believed the kryptonite to beating Duke was basically identical to what NC State did on Wednesday, which is you get a bunch of guards, you space Duke out, you make kids like Matthew Hurd and Vernon Carey chase guys around the perimeter, and if you hit enough threes, you have the chance to beat them. And so I do wonder, 
if this kind of opens up the blueprint a little bit for how you go ahead and beat Duke, you got to hit threes and maybe you beat them with quickness and athleticism. NC State did that tonight. I'm not saying that you know it's a terrible loss or Duke screwed or anything like that. I do think it is something worth monitoring. All right, I think that's it for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Listen, I'm not going to come back and do uh, a wrap. I'm just going to throw straight to Sean Farnham. There will be no shout-out of the day today. It's okay. We'll save it for Sunday. We'll come up with something good. But I want to remind everybody, if you're not already subscribed, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. Do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean. Tune in radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Follow me on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. Do have a few questions in the old mailbag, which we will talk about maybe on Sunday. We'll see what happens. I may have a guest for Sunday. We haven't figured it out yet. And I may have another very big guest early next week, so we will see how that goes. But I do think that's all for this segment of the show, I think it's all for the rest of the show, but I am going to get to Sean Farnham. Sean Farnham, of course, ESPN, as I said, I think he is as sharp of a guy covering this sport as anybody that we have. I think he's the Kirk Herbstreet of college basketball. Strong opinions, smart opinions. They come from a place of knowledge. He's not afraid to be critical. He's not afraid to be honest. He's not afraid of feedback or pushback. I love talking ball with him. He came on last year, and he is on again this year. So, uh, so I was going to throw to Sean, uh, Sean Farnham, but first I want to say, if I haven't already, because I kind of forgot if I did, shout out to Torrent Craig, shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Uh, but now, Sean Farnham. I wasn't sure if I threw to Sean Farnham. I, I wasn't sure if I already gave a shout out, Torrent Craig. Forgive me. I'm sorry. It's midnight Eastern. I'm putting together a podcast for you. I forgot if I shout out Torrent Craig. Forgive me. All right. Sean Farnham, the Kirk Herbstreet of college basketball. Love talking to this guy. Here he is right now. All right, and joining me on the phone now, good friend of mine. He is an ESPN college basketball analyst, host of SiriusXM Satellite Radio. My man, Sean Farnham, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's a, it's a, it's a fun time of year. You know, last couple of weeks I've heard a lot of it. What were the dog days of the season? Well, uh, just just with a blink of an eye, we're, we're two weeks away from camp week really beginning, uh, and I think that this is this is the time of moment where we're going to start looking for some college basketball teams to step up, which which makes my job even that much more enjoyable. Absolutely, and and uh, it is a really fun time of year. And you're right; there was a two three week stretch where it just felt like everybody, uh, players, coaches, were hitting a lull, and now it feels like there's some more energy in the sport uh, from you know from everywhere. But I, I do you know I open the show talking about this topic, and it's something I've talked a little bit with you on radio, but I would love your perspective more in depth here, is I, I open with this concept that there's no great teams in college basketball, quote-unquote. And, and while I would admit that the, the names that we traditionally associate with elite, North Carolina, Duke, uh, Kentucky, they, they, even the ones that are playing well don't have the same level of talent that they have in years past. I also think it's crazy to have this conversation that none of these teams are elite, are great, because you know in years past we've had a Villanova that people said at the time, oh, I don't know if they're quote-unquote great or not. They got five guys in the NBA right now having a lot of success. Uh, where do you just stand on this whole great versus not great versus the sport as a whole in general? Uh, because I think it's kind of a preposterous conversation, but I'd be curious for your opinion. 
I, I think we do have great teams. Uh, I mean, I think that if you if you took Baylor's resume and you just changed the name from Baylor to Kansas, yep. we're screaming at the top of the mountain about how great they are. <laughs> yep. I mean, really, defensively, they're they're one of the best in the country uh, by by almost every analytic that you could look at. Uh, offensively, they've got guys that share the basketball. They've rebound the ball extremely well. Uh, Jared Butler's been one of the best players, the most consistent players in, in the country all season long. He's the top 20 wooden award uh, list guy. Uh, and oh, by the way, outside of a three-minute stretch in Anchorage, Alaska to start the season, Baylor would be undefeated as well as San Diego State. Yeah. Um, so they beat five top uh, 25 teams. They go into Allen Fieldhouse and win. When you have that on your resume, uh, you're better than just good. You're great. Uh, and just because they maybe lack the sizzle and pop uh, that you know that we're accustomed to seeing, whether it be a Trey Young type or a Zion Williamson type or some freshman that's going to blow us away, um, we we don't we don't look at them because they, they're not the shiny toy. They're the toy that we we want to go back and play with because it's reliable and it's good and it's fun to play with. But they're not the shiny toy. They're not they're not going to wow us. And I think that, that we hold that against them. Now, I think the same thing could be said really for two other teams. Actually, maybe with three. But you look at Gonzaga and the fact that they hold currently the nation's longest road winning streak and the nation's longest home active winning streak. Their only loss this season uh, was in the Bahamas on a neutral site, and that was to Michigan in the championship game of the Battle for Atlantis. And they've got seven guys that average double figures. They've done it with, without Kelly and Philly for for much of the season, he's been off and on, injured and in the game, not in the game. And, and Philip Petrusha, who, who nobody really was talking about really before the start of the season, is cemented himself as one of the premier bigs in the country on a team that has the best offensive efficiency in the country. And while there'll be people that say, well, look at their schedule, that, you know, this is maybe not as strong as a non-conference schedule that we've seen out of Mark Few. Well, clearly when Mark made the schedule and got North Carolina to come up to Spokane, he anticipated Carolina being good. They're not. That's not on Mark Well, you, you make that three years ago, and you're like, all right, cool, we got Carolina. That's going to be huge. Uh, and it just hasn't panned out that way. But at the same time, the WCC is the only conference in the country that has four teams with 20 wins. St. Mary's is an NCAA tournament team. BYU's ranked for the first time in the last nine years. Uh, it's not a down conference. It's a good conference, a solid conference. Uh, and, and I think that and Mark Few deserve the moniker of being a great team right now. And I think it's really hard for me to justify anybody saying the San Diego State is in a great team. They beat, they beat Creighton, and they didn't only beat Creighton, they walloped mm-hmm. Creighton on a neutral floor. They beat Iowa on a neutral floor. Their defense is outstanding. Malachi Flynn's got almost a 3-1 to assist-to-turnover ratio. It's, it's almost humorous that, they're, that we continue to look at them and go, wow, you know, who do they play? Well, all I know is this, by, by again, I, I becoming more of an analytics guy, their defensive efficiency numbers top 10 in the country, their offensive efficiency top 5. That, that's pretty good. I, I don't know what the, what the marker is for great, yep. um, but I think those teams check a lot of boxes. I think Dayton's hovering on that line as well. Yeah, no, and I agree 100%, and, and it's funny because I've had all these conversations, a lot of people agree, some disagree, whatever. Uh, real quick on San Diego State, because I – like, like I, I understand the Mountain West isn't very good this year, but I made this point on this show about a week ago, is that, one, it's exactly what you said. They beat Creighton by 30 uh, early in the season. Creighton now is in second place in the Big East. They're trending to be about a 3-4 seed in the NCAA tournament. 
Uh, they beat Iowa. Utah, which beat Kentucky two days later, goes to play San Diego State and loses by 30. Um, I love them. I would add, to on top of what you said about the offensive and defensive efficiency, in a year where no one can hit three-pointers, their top four scorers all shoot about like 37, 38, 39% from three great foul shooting team. Just for people who haven't seen them, because, again, people want to tear down these teams from these conferences, just lay out who they are, what they are, um, do they have a weakness, and is there any reason to think that despite the fact that they're playing in a one-bid league right now, that they can't make a run, that they can't be in Atlanta to play for an, to play in a Final Four, potentially for a national championship? So, so going to your point, you know, uh, talking about making shots and how people, you know, don't look at that, I, I think winning is something that people have forgotten. That yes. They, they want to devalue winning. Like winning is really important in basketball. It's the the <laughs> entire the entire essence of the sport is to win. Yeah. Um. And they didn't they didn't lose this they didn't leave lose games like even at Boston. They didn't lose to Evansville on their home floor. They didn't have any of these losses like Louisville did last week, where they back back to back bad losses because it's not like the ACC is really strong outside of the top three. Yep. So you sit there and you go, oh, well, we want to just sweat at them because of the conference they play in. I think that's foolish if you're doing that. Because they're going out every single night, and right now, these teams to be everybody's hearing up and getting hyped. The crowds are larger. They have they they're here. And by the way, Danny State sit there turning on the TV here, and everybody, including Joe Lenardi, sit there. Well, if they lose the game, they're off the one line. They lose one game, they're off the one line in a year where we don't really have what everybody said is a great team. Yep, this is a team that has all the makings, all the makings of a national championship whether it be the efficiency numbers that we talked about, whether it's the three-point shooting, but more importantly, the experience. This is not a mid-major team that is trying to find its way. They've got five major transfers, and Yanni Wetzel and uh, Malachi Flinko from Washington State. they got K.J. Fagan that came from a lesser school, but they've been around. This is an experienced group, and when you have experience, Look at the past national championships that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Like, where was the sizzle and pop in Virginia? DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter. Okay, he's showing a lot of sizzle and pop around him. You're right. Like, Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome. Like, no, there was substance. And I think when I look at this team, they play the pack line defense almost as well as Virginia does. And if you liked watching Virginia last year, Close your eyes and start thinking about what I'm saying. A three to one assist turnover ratio. Who's that sound like? A little bit like Ty Jerome last year. Mm-hmm. You're you're bringing up the guys that can knock down shots uh, on a consistent basis from the outside. Is that the difference between Virginia last year and Virginia this year? Like they have a lot of the same markings that a Virginia had last year on their run to the national championship, and it would not surprise me one bit to see standing a state in the final four. It wouldn't. Now. If, if, if you're telling me they got upset in the Sweet 16, okay. But this idea that we're going to go to Selection Sunday, and if they finish the regular season undefeated, which I think they will, and they've got one more hurdle left, it's their final game really at Nevada. I don't see them losing at home. If they get over that hurdle at Nevada, then they go to then they go to Vegas for the, the Mountain West tournament in, at UNLV. Uh, I think they're going to get out of there undefeated. They're going to be the team that everybody on Selection Sunday goes, oh, they're probably going to be the first number one seed to fall. They have a chip on their shoulder because even though they're undefeated, even though they have the highest rank in the school history, everybody wants to continue to take shots at them. 
I think Coach Sutter is using that to his advantage. I think this team is playing like it has a chip on its shoulder, uh, and I expect them to, uh, to put on a, a, a great finish to this regular season. And, again, I, I think they will be in the planet. Yeah, no, and it's so funny that you mentioned that because this was a conversation I know that you were having in your circles and people were asking me the quote-unquote do they need to lose a game before the tournament conversation, which happened, you know, started happening about four or five weeks ago. And at the time, I said yes, but as time has gone on, I've said, one, it doesn't seem to be impacting them at all, and two, I think it's actually having the reverse effect. Every time they win again, people want to discredit them more, so it's almost like like I don't I, like like I think that they're being infused by this conversation exactly like you said that they're not good enough. Uh, do you sense that as well? Because this is a team that at this time of year when teams are undefeated, and we'll see, they still have a couple more regular season games. Usually this is when they hit a wall. They're tired. They're tired of answering the questions. This team is only playing better as the season goes on, not worse. Yeah, I mean, and again, think about this. If they lose the game, what does the narrative become naturally? Does anybody go, wow, what, that's shocking? Yeah. Or do they go, see, we told you. Yep. It's a see, we told you kind of mentality. And for, for San Diego State, their mentality right now is, see, we told you, we're going to keep winning games. Uh, and, again, what travel? Defense travel. What travel? Offensive, you know, valuing the basketball. Um, they do a tremendous job in both those two areas. And when you're getting good shots and you're shooting the percentage in which they're shooting from top to bottom, whether it's three-point or inside the arc, uh, this is a team that's going to be difficult for teams to match up with uh, in the NCAA tournament. And, by the way, it, it, it gets kind of like it's like one of those things where I think their style of play too will become more problematic in the NCAA tournament than it does in their conference. They're going through the second round of seeing everybody in their conference this year. Everybody knows what Brian Dutcher wants to do. Everybody knows what their play call is. Everybody knows their personnel. And all of a sudden, you're going to get out of that. And you're going to go to the NCAA tournament, and you know it is going to be one of those instances where they're going to face a big team in probably the second round, third round from like a power conference, and they're going to be like. Psh, and they're not going to like mentally be respectful, respectful enough because I've seen this in the NCAA tournament. And they're going to get bounced. And then someone's going to be like, oh, man, I think the Aztecs really are that good. And they don't know how they rotate defensively, and they're not familiar with their play calls since you've got a short window to prepare your team. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be a really difficult out. Somebody, somebody may get us. Because this isn't a year where they're like, I'm not building them up to be one of the greatest teams of all time in college basketball. Um, so don't don't take what I'm saying out of, to that level. But in this year, where we don't have necessarily a freshman class that is pushing programs over the top, you know, it, we've seen some inconsistencies from programs that we thought were going to be a lot better. Like, well, well, in the last couple of weeks, I thought they were trending to being a one seed, and then all of a sudden last week they just they hit the break and watched everybody fly right by them, and you're like, yep. man, like what happened to Jordan Wara? Yeah. What happened to you guys? Ability to shoot the ball, but San Diego State has not had that, and I think that we do need to credit them for not having those moments. Absolutely, no, I, I agree a hundred percent on everything you've said, and I, the last point I would say on them is the point that I brought up before. Uh, I believe as of the last time I checked, they had the same number of quad one wins as Louisville and Florida State, and part of that is a reflection of the ACC being down, but. If you're going to tell me that San Diego State doesn't play anybody, you better be saying the same thing about Louisville and Florida State. Uh, anybody? So we, we've talked about you know these these top teams, and I think everybody has a good feel for Kansas and. 
Duke, I think, is actually playing really well right now, even though, again, they don't have kind of that name brand star player. Uh, Kentucky's trending in the right direction to top the SEC. Is there anybody that we're not talking about right now, a team uh, that, that you feel like, man, they are totally going in the right direction, and I would not want to face that team in three or four weeks when the bracket comes out? No, I mean, I, I, a couple weeks ago, I would probably say Seton Hall. Sure, I'm with you. Um, but then, obviously, they've taken a little bit of a hit. Um, so I wouldn't. I, I think that they're kind of right where they should be right now. Sure. Uh, I do think Kentucky's the one team uh, that was left off of the the, the the top four seed lines on the original release by the NCAA a couple Saturdays ago. Yep. Uh, that I think is going to end up clearly being there. Uh, I just think that. You know, it's interesting to see Ashton Hagen complete the uh, quad injury that he, he suffered at LSU. Uh, doesn't derail him for any period of time. Uh, but getting Nate Pacina to hit shots like he did in Baton Rouge with you. Uh, but I think Nick Brewster and his play has just been so important to what you could potentially see for a Kentucky team to win a national championship. And I think that they're on that they're on that plane of being part of that grouping that can win a national championship. Uh, Hagan's defensively and then offensively is ability to distribute, but you know, Maxi quickly, they've played extremely well, extremely fast. They're fun to watch. Uh, they get after you. They're disruptive at the defensive end of the floor. But the whole key for them is getting production underneath. And when they've struggled, uh, Nick Richards has struggled. When Nick Richards has played well and stayed out of foul trouble, uh, this team really has taken off and, and played very well for a pretty sustained, pretty much a, a sustained period of time too. Um, so I, I think that Kentucky uh, is that team. Uh, and, and you know, Oregon maybe still. I, I just Oregon's one of those teams for me where I believe it takes leadership, and I believe in his ability to hit big shots at big moments. He has those types of moments uh, all the time in, in those big moments. And they need a basket. He's going to find a way to get it done. And they have so many new faces. Defensively, I haven't seen that same kind of edge that we saw at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. But I still think that Dana Altman's teams historically have found a way to get it done. And the pack flow isn't great. Um, it's solid. It's better stepping in the right direction. Uh, I think Oregon's a team that could make a an elite eight run, but I, I just don't think it like as a national championship contender right now. Yeah, no, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you on Oregon. Uh, I think that they very much at times play down to the competition or let inferior teams stay close. Uh, I do want to actually talk about the Pac-12 really quick, though. A couple more questions. We'll get you out of here. You're a very busy man. Um, you know, one of the questions that I get more than any other, and I'm sure you do the same, is there are so many fans on the East Coast that just can't stay up for Pac-12 games, and that's a reality, and that's something that the league has struggled with. It's something that's never going to change. Uh, but I see. I, I'm a little more bullish on the Pac-12 than you are. Maybe not uh, as a team that can get to a national championship game, win a national championship. But I think the top three are all playing well, and I actually think there's a middle pack that's playing well. Like you know, like UCLA is not going to make the NCAA tournament. But I think if I told people that they've won seven out of their last eight, they won at Arizona. Like I think UCLA is playing like one of the 68 best teams, but obviously dug themselves a hole too early. Arizona State is trending in the right direction. Just for people that can't stay up until 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 a.m. on a Thursday night or a Saturday night, just give everybody a quick rundown of what you see from those teams and kind of their overall potential. 
Well, I'll, I'll just tell you that I think the one they in Pac-12 has been the hires that they've made. The coach moves that they've made. And I'll start with my own mind because you brought them up. Nick Tony has done a tremendous job in year one of laying the foundation down and how hard you have to play to win. Uh, there, there was a group that he inherited that didn't understand what playing hard actually meant. You know, sometimes they think it's just, oh, i got to run hard, i got to run fast. No, no, no. Playing hard is actually sliding over in the help side position and taking that extra step to plug that hole, having faith and trust that the, guy, the weak side guard is going to crack back in and cover your man and take that pass away and maybe create a turnover opportunity for the team. That's playing hard. Um, and UCLA has struggled with that. And they, they, they appear to have finally got to the hope of, of falling back on their, their old habits. And I think that's been a big reason why they've been able to sustain the success they've had here in the second half of conference play. The, the rise of UCLA in the conference actually helps the conference because of the depth. I think, you know, Mark Fox could count much better than, and much more competitive than they were a season ago. I mean, a season ago, they were complete best, unorganized, undisciplined, getting knocked by 20. Now, when you go up like Cal, you, you actually have to compete in that organ. They had to compete for the final two minutes of that game before they were able to pull away and find, find an opportunity to win. Stanford is has played like an NCAA tournament team at times. Uh, injuries and whatnot have kind of set, set them back a little bit. Um, and I, I think that's separate. If, if the silver won't hurt, I think they win at Colorado and I think the Arizona State at home. And I think we're still talking about them being an NCAA tournament team. Uh, Bobby Hurley in the past, that he has, is, is permeated through their guard, Remy Martin, so who's lightning quick, he fells in the open floor. Uh, they've got a bunch of other guards on the outside that they can distribute the ball to. They can get shots. Alonzo Burke can do the ball transfer to very well for them uh, at the plate. Uh, I would say Arizona's kind of that team that you're talking about. That one's up top here on the conference. And that's Arizona. Really young. Nick Naji, if you, if you haven't paid attention to him, because we've talked so much about Nick Albania, their talent is probably going to be a top 10 pick in the NBA draft. But Nick Naji has actually probably been the best freshman in the conference. Uh, it's either him or Nyeke Kongu uh, from USC, in my eyes, as being the best freshman overall conference. That's no disrespect to Isaiah Stewart, but he's about one of the games in Washington. Sure. And I think that if Arizona can tweak a little bit the defense and get a little bit more consistent there, they have a chance to be a second weakest team in the NCAA tournament. Colorado is this year's Washington in the back ball. All experience, Finley Wright, Tyler Bay, and Fatty. The key for them is they got to knock out a couple of shots from the outside to open up the interior. If they're unable to do that, sometimes they can go through long scoring routes. This is the team I think that can weaken good. Uh, does it mean they're going to get there? No. That's who we're I think they're a big tweak, 16 type game. Uh, and then at the top, it's Oregon. And with Peyton Pritchard, uh, he's, he's one of the best swords in the country. He doesn't, you look at him and you're like, what? That guy? And then you hear Hawkins and ask, okay, what do you like? And he lifts up, like, the notebook, uh, the choice. Yeah, I saw that. Two of his favorite movies. He bakes cookies from scratch and loves hanging out with his golden retriever. Wow. Huh? You're one of the finest dudes on the court? You're hearing amazing. You're dropping daggers against Washington. You're hitting a big shot against uh, Colorado at home. What? You're that guy? You're, you're the guy, uh, and he is, uh, and he, he just—he's an awesome competitor. And with all the new faces around him, his leadership has been put to the test this year. And I think he's shine. And I think out of any of the, well, Oregon's the 
just a one chance to go the longest. I haven't seen the consistency where yet at the defensive end of the floor. The golly is the nation for them. But they are the one team that I think has a chance to get to an Elite Eight and given the right matchup to sneak into the, to the Final Four. Fantastic. Last question, I'll let you go. I know you got to run, and it could be one minute long. Uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about in this next month that you're looking forward to? I mean, we talked about all the major contenders. Anything outside of what we've discussed that, that you're just kind of intrigued by to see between now and Selection Sunday? The, the line for the next month is going to be, you know, when you start thinking about Final Fours, here we go to the question. Who's proving you they can win six games in a row? I mean, it's a, it's a very simple question, and it's one that a lot of teams cannot take that down for yet. I agree. So as we get to Stanley, I think the like we might not see a lot of movement on the top line as far as who the win seed going to go. But that three, four, five line, I think there's going to be a lot of movement there because I don't think we've seen the consistency. And it goes back to your initial, you know, full circle back to your initial thought of you know, great team, good team. We're limited on our great team. Yeah. Uh, and outside of that, we've got a bunch of solid teams. And when you look at the solid teams, I think there's the potential to have just absolutely for a wild opening weekend. But when you're filling out your bracket, when you're watching this stretch run for your team, who's picking at the right moment? Who's showing you that they can win six games in a row? Because if they can't show you that they can win six games in a row right now, you're not a believer that they can win six games in a row right now through Champlain. They're probably not going to win six games in a row in the NCAA tournament on neutral floor against everybody else. Road win, RT, that's why I like to see like Penn State and Richard Gloss to go in the way at home. Because, and I said this last week, if they set road win for gold, Pat Sanders is rich this year. So, that team can travel, that team can prove, and that can go away from home and win games. That's what I'm looking for every season. Fantastic. Sean Farnham, you can, of course, uh, one, follow him on Twitter, at Sean Farnham. He is, of course, a college basketball analyst for ESPN, Sirius XM radio host. Dude, you know I love doing this, man. It's uh, I know you're a very busy man. Genuinely appreciate the time, so thank you, Sean. No worries. I'm done, man. I look forward to talking to you, too. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.